Good morning. If you would be opening your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4, we'll be reading that in just a moment. It's been quite a while since we started this study in Colossians. In fact, it was back in July that we began, so I really won't hold it against you if you don't remember everything we've, we've noticed up to this point. To give us a quick refresher, Paul, writing to the saints in Colossae whom he had not met but had heard wonderful things about, reveals to them who Christ is, why Christ matters, and in fact why they need nothing more than Christ, Christ alone. In fact, that was all they ever needed. They would hold to Him, and if they would do so, it would change their actions, it would change their relationships, and ultimately it would change their lives. Paul has just spoken about how this changing connection with the family and and even the slave-master relationship And now he is going to conclude his thoughts to the Colossians in the last chapter. I hope you'll be reading along with me. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 18. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open to us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. For which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number, they will inform you about the whole situation here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings. And also Barnabas' cousin, Mark, about whom you received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision, and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings, and also Demas, Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea, and also Nympha, and that church that is in her house. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. We are going to mainly focus this last study of Colossians on verses 2 through 6 because of the great abundance of teaching that Paul packs into just these five verses. And one of the first things I want us to note is what he says in verses 2 and verse 12. But actually, before we see that, it's interesting to see Paul began his letter with an example of prayer, saying not only had they prayed for the Colossians, but they had not ceased to pray. And now he calls them, devote yourselves to prayer. That tells me that prayer needs to be more than something done before maybe a meal or, or just bookending services. This was an integral part of the life for Paul and needed to be a, a part for all Christians. 
This is not because it makes us more righteous. This is because we need God, almost always more than we realize. So far, Paul has pointed to God as the one who qualifies us to sharing in the inheritance of light. He has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. It is through his power that Paul worked. And in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, notice he says there that it is him, it is God who is at work in you. Why should we pray? Because we need him. Without God's working in us, we are wasting our time. Without God's work, we fail. We rely on him. And that is more than just fact. He wants that, he wants that displayed in us. Check out the example that, he, that Paul gives of someone involved in this type of prayer. Epaphras. In verse 12, says that he labored earnestly in prayer. Let me ask you, is prayer labor for you? I'll be honest. I labored oftentimes just to remember to pray. But Epaphras labored in prayer. How is that possible? I believe it's because he understood the need for God's power in our lives. We rely on God. Let's pray like we believe that. But another spot to consider, looking back on this study, is that Paul not only opened the letter in prayer, he opened the letter with thankfulness. He said he was thankful for the Colossians. He was thankful to hear of their faith, love, and hope. And following that, he tells them to give thanks to God who has qualified us. He tells them to let the peace of Christ rule their lives and be thankful then. But in the next two verses, he tells them, sing with thankfulness in their hearts and do all name in the Lord Jesus, name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks. It seems like Paul is trying to emphasize thankfulness. Christians need to have a certain quality about them that, that expresses that. Paul says here in verse 4, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert, that is to say, watch out. You remember there were, were those who were filling their minds with these philosophies. There were those trying to get them to do these things that seemed wise, like keeping the old ordinances of the law, living these ascetic lives that appear spiritual. Paul says, watch out for these things by being devoted to God in prayer because you need Him. Watch out and be thankful. Be thankful for what you have. Be thankful that you are in Christ. Be thankful that you are His kingdom. You're in His kingdom, the church. We have been redeemed, saved, circumcised by the circumcision made without hands. We have been washed and sanctified, set apart for Christ. We need to be thankful. Thankful that He has given us the means to communicate with Him. He has given us His Word. Thankful that we have each other. I'm thankful that I have you. I hope you're thankful that you have me. I'm thankful that we can be one in Him. I'm thankful that we have hope. And we need to realize that out of all these things, we deserve none of them. Let's never take for granted and give thanks where it, give thanks where it belongs. Let's grow, increase, abound in that kind of thankfulness. And with prayer and thankfulness, Paul now begins to wrap up by giving the Colossians some applicable points that they could put into action and we should certainly strive for. In verses 5-6, through six, he starts out by saying that they needed to be unmistakably different. you got to see there's something a little politically incorrect in the way Paul describes non-believers in chapter 4. In our day, people would, would be very upset over this. He calls them outsiders. In chapter 3, he made it clear that this community of believers in Christ was to be markedly different than the communities of the world. They were to lay aside immorality and greed. They were to end the manipulative practices of anger and malice, lying and abuse. And they were to put on compassion and kindness and love. No doubt about it, they were to be different. 
unmistakably, but they were not to be unconnected. Christians are to stand out from the world, but they are not to hide in the world. We are expected to have a certain type of interaction with those of this world. The community is certainly the one true church, but unfortunately sometimes it's treated as a secret society. Paul described himself as an ambassador of Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.1, taking his message out from the church and into the world, and he calls Christians there, imitate me. We need to be interacting with people in this world. Now you might ask, what do, I, what do I mean by that? Interacting, does that mean that we need to go out and stand on the street corner and, and proclaim the good news? Are we marching into places of worship that, that believe differently and, and, and engaging in conversation about how they are, they are wrong and, and how God is right? No, that's, that's not what I mean. What I mean is randomly and also purposefully, each and every one of us comes into contact with people of this world every day. And so it's really quite simple. Our job is to make a connection with them. How do we do that? By being the influence. You see, Paul has every right to call them to walk wisely, to talk graciously, and to influence those that they come into contact with. That's what he's made his work in life to do. He asks that they pray for him, but not in that alone. He would like for them to share. Share in what he has been doing. He's already told them he has a fear that these philosophers might influence them, that the Jewish teachers might influence them, the things that had an appearance of wisdom in this world, but in reality were false humility. These things might influence them. And if that happened, he said they would have their heads turned away from Christ. Now Paul calls them to be the influence. You stand out. Again, you don't have to leave the world, but when you are in it, you be the influencer, not the influenced. John describes a similar thought in Revelation when he talks about being the cup of hot or cold water. Look over Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. Speaking to the church at Laodicea, he says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You know, sometimes I think we get the wrong idea about what Jesus is saying here. Sometimes I think we get the idea, Jesus says, I'd rather you be red hot, burning up on fire for me, or ice cold dead. But this is really not an either or statement. Because these are one and the same. Hot and cold. Now, how could hot and cold be the same? Well, think about it like this. What is the purpose of a hot or cold drink? Here soon, I'm going to be sitting out in the woods deer hunting. And on one of those cold mornings, I'm really going to look forward to that thermos of coffee that I pack with me to warm my hands, warm my insides. Similarly, after you've been out mowing all day in the scorching heat of summer, we want something cold and refreshing. Now, hot or cold, we can easily understand how they influence us in these situations. But what is lukewarm? What is lukewarm? It is a cup of hot coffee or a cup of ice-cold water that has been influenced by its surroundings. 
It no longer has the ability to influence because it's taken on the characteristics of what is around it. This was the problem at Laodicea. It could become the problem at Colossae, and it could become a problem today as well. That is why we need to conduct ourselves with wisdom. Colossians 4 verse 5. This is how we be the influence. By conducting, or maybe your translation says to walk in wisdom. If you remember Colossians 3 verse 16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. If, you are, if we are dwelling in the word of Christ, with the wisdom of Christ, you know what we will be doing? We will be doing things in the name of the Lord. And that's like saying he could put his stamp of approval on every word and every action. And as Paul went on to say, that changes the way a wife acts towards the husband and the husband towards the wife. Childs and children and parents and masters and slaves. But now Paul is saying that that same mentality is what should change their views and our views towards outsiders, toward people of the world. Now the conventional thinking of the world says, how do we bring outsiders in? Well, we plan great events. We build gymnasiums and have trunk or treats. We throw concerts and have state-of-the-art buildings. Do you know what those places that have done that are doing now? They are scratching their heads wondering why they can't keep their children in church. Remember, we are conducting ourselves in wisdom. There are many things that sound wise, but Paul says you do everything by the authority of Christ. You put on tender mercy, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness, love. This is what will influence the culture around you. Christ-like lives can do more than persuasive words or even apparent wisdom. I remember a campaign advertisement for the Republican Party that aired several times in the last few months. It showed video of police confrontations with angry mobs and clips of political heads that were saying, Saying things like, when they go low, we kick them. Things like, civility isn't something we can afford right now. It's even a clip of, I think, a fast food worker throwing some beverage in someone's face. And it ends with this, this tagline, be the difference. The intention is that the difference is voting Republican. Brothers and sisters, that's not the difference. Paul is telling Christians they need to be the difference. And it starts with being wise with our influence. But that also means we must be wise with our interactions with people of the world. How many of you, like me, would like to have spiritual conversations? And would like to set Christ-like examples with maybe a neighbor, a co-worker, a cashier in the drive through line, but when you get that opportunity, maybe things get all jumbled up, the timing just doesn't seem right, you end up saying, well, maybe next time. Does that describe you? It describes me. I deal with that. I deal with that all the time. But I want you to think about this for a minute. In John chapter 4, Jesus is traveling with his disciples. They stop in Sakaar for a rest. And while his disciples head into town, he has this conversation with a Samaritan woman. This is the account that we oftentimes call the woman at the well. And I understand and I hope you understand, not every single conversation that we have every single day is going to turn to a Bible study. That would be nice. That would be wonderful. But unfortunately, that doesn't seem to be the world we live in. But sometimes they do. And you remember how, how that went with Jesus here? He began by asking this woman for a drink. 
But straight away, he starts talking about God's gifts. And over and over again, he uses this conversation to discuss spiritual matters. And you might be tempted to say, well, that's Jesus. Of course he can do that with a complete stranger. After all, he created her. And it's his word. He knows it well enough to have those conversations. Well, for our purpose this morning, I want you to take your focus away from this relation, this conversation with Jesus and this woman. It's kind of a smokescreen for our application. You see, what I want to focus on is the disciples. They go into the city and they return to Jesus. And then a short time later, the woman goes into the city and she returns to Jesus. But there's a stark difference between them. The disciples went into the city and returned with food. The woman went into the city and returned with people. Why, you might ask? I suppose it's the purpose behind their their leaving. The disciples went into the city thinking, we have to get something to eat. The woman went into thinking, I must tell someone about this man who may be the Christ. All too often, we are like the disciples. We get focused on important, worldly things. No, no doubt about it, food is about as important as you can get in this life. Without food, you die. But when we go to work, or to the grocery, to the bank, are we thinking strictly about those things first? Or have we prepared ourselves in advance to be thinking about telling others about Christ? Be wise with our time. Think about how you might invite that person at the drive-thru to, to services. How might you might help someone in need in the Walmart parking lot and use that to glorify God. See, if we prepare ourselves for that, even just imagining it happening, what would I say? What would I do? We would be more likely to follow the example of the Samaritan woman and strive to bring others to Christ. And that brings me to our final point in this study of Colossians, and that is, Paul wants us to be prepared people. After advising the Colossians on using gracious speech, being the salt of the world, seasoning those they come into contact with with the character of Christ, he makes one final plea before closing his letter, saying, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Paul wanted the Colossians to be people prepared to respond. They couldn't just live as the world lives, follow in its ways, and then expect when someone asked them, if someone ever asked them about Christ, to be prepared to respond. So he begins by telling them to speak graciously. I don't know about you, but that isn't something that just comes naturally for me. If I don't think about what I want to say first, my response may be fully loaded with sarcasm and snarkiness instead of grace and kindness. That means being prepared and responding involves getting my thinking straight first. Have you ever attempted something that was very hard to accomplish? Recently, I have started rollerblading with a friend, and weather and time permitting, we go out and skate. One day, we were skating around in a parking lot, and we got wondering if we could jump over, if we could jump over the small grass divider between two parking lots. Do you know what the hardest thing about doing that was? It was not getting the speed up to clear the small gap of maybe four feet. In fact, it was not jumping either, the seven or eight inches that was needed to clear the curbs. And it turned out not to even be trying to land on your wheels on the other side. No, the hardest thing involved was telling my brain, this can actually be done. 
You see, I must have skated right up to the edge of that curb 30 or 40 times before I actually did it. I had to prepare my thinking first to get my body to follow, so that when I approached, I told my legs to push, my feet to pull up, my eyes to stay open. Long enough to see where I was going to land, and it all came together, and I landed. I had to change my thinking. Now, on a side note, preparing our minds also means not becoming overconfident. My next attempt revealed that I had become overconfident and saw me sliding across the asphalt on my backside. You need to see, we have to be, we have to be careful in our thinking to be successful. Few people just get up and wing it and have their attempts, attempts turn out to be very profitable. So begin preparing yourself with your thinking. Who is first in my life? What is my purpose in life? Will I be devoted to responding to situations with kindness and grace? But that is only half of the preparation. The other half comes through actually giving the response. And Peter spoke of this well. In 1 Peter 3 verse 15 saying, Be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. When someone asks you a question, is your first response, Well, I'll go ask the preacher. I'll go ask an elder. I'll go ask some other, some other person that holds an authoritative place in your life. If it is, let me first say that is okay. But you have a benchmark now. Set a goal. You see, they don't need to know what the preacher thinks. They need to know what the Bible says. Study it. And if you're asking a question you don't know the answer, don't be afraid to say, I don't know that answer. But don't stop there. Grow. In fact, in 2 Peter 1, Peter goes on to say that we need to be adding to our knowledge. But in verse 8, he says, If you are increasing in this, you will neither be useless or unfruitful in the true knowledge of the Lord. Peter recognized. Peter the apostle recognized. It never stops. We need to abound to continue to increase in our knowledge of the Lord. We need to continue to prepare. We need to be ready to respond and to do so with grace in our hearts and salt on our tongues. Who knew someone could pack so many thoughts into so few words? Four chapters in the book of Colossians, and yet it is so dense and rich. Paul closes the letter desiring the Christians in Colossae to grow in prayer and thankfulness in their connections with the world and the way they influence it and in their wisdom and their preparations. But he ends this letter in verse 18 with these four words. Grace be with you. I am confident that is exactly what we will find if we follow the encouragement and admonition of this letter. Written to the Colossians then, applicable to Kentuckians today. Hold to Christ and to Him alone. Grab fast to Him as the head of the church and don't be turned aside to the thoughts and beliefs of the world. Even if they appear wise, Christ is better. Understand as Peter did when Christ asked if he and the other disciples would leave as so many had done. Peter's response, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. Can we help you this morning in coming to Christ? Have you been baptized, completely immersed in water, knowing that because of your sins, you are separated from God, but because of the sacrifice of His Son, you can be forgiven? Have you repented, turning away from this world to walk in Christ and Him alone, giving all of yourself to Him as your Lord? If not, you need to know the grace Paul spoke of here 
It isn't with you, but it is extended to you. Will you accept it? If so, then come to Him today. Come in obedience and be saved. Do it now as we stand and as we sing.